Christmas in one word. We're looking for that one word that describes Christmas. Last week, we looked at some of the words that some people might think would describe Christmas, a single word, which would be all these, maybe um, love, that's a good word, or joy, or peace, or family, or stress, depending upon, yeah, that, that works sometimes, celebration, or Jesus, but what is the one word that best describes Christmas? What is that word? Emmanuel, which takes about three or four English words to translate. The one word is kind of a cheating word, it's a Hebrew word. But it takes three or four. God with us, but if you want to put a verb in there, you would say God is with us. That is the a whole idea of what Christmas is about. Everything else we do is to point us to this fact and to remind us of the fact that God became human being and God is now with us. All right? Now the actual work the actual word of uh Emmanuel is actually only used in the Bible three times, if you look it up in some sort of concordance. But the whole idea is best described in this passage from the Gospel of John, and it goes like this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word, by the way, that's capital word, not small word like words. Word. And the Word was with God. And the word was God. Let's stop right there. How can that be? Well, you go back into the, they're already online, the sermon series we just finished about the Holy Spirit and how is it that God can exist in what we call a trinity? I can't explain it to you. Nobody knows. Here's my Christmas present to you. You don't have to know, all right? It just is. We know that it's true. Jesus was the word and he was with God and he was God. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the way that the the message puts it is, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. That's the Christmas event. Everything else that we do is designed to remind us of that, to show that, and to celebrate the fact that God is with us, Emmanuel, one word. Now, what this series is designed to do, we just have today and then tomorrow, and we'll move on to something else. What Emmanuel means for my life. Okay, the fact that God is with us. Well, what does that do for me? What's the point of Emmanuel? Last week, we looked at this. It means, first of all, I am not alone. God is with us. Whatever you're facing, whatever you go through, you don't go through it alone. That's why I love that video that we showed right at the very end last week about God with you. Whatever you're going through, the single mom, the the divorced person, the the struggles with finances, God is with you with you he is with you in all things because of emmanuel and it means this also he's on my side god takes our side he didn't come down here grudgingly he came down here to celebrate well he came down here to be for us if god is for us who could be against us i mean you got god on your side Do you ever pick teams when you were in in elementary school and what you're looking for? You're looking for the best people on your team? Well, what if God was one of the people on the team? You're going to win, aren't you? Okay, God's on your side. He's on your team. Except you didn't choose him. He chose you to be on his team. And nothing can really hurt me. Now, let's talk about that once again. It doesn't mean that we won't go through pain. But nothing can really hurt me. All the things that I have to go through are temporary things. Even the pain that I have to face is a temporary thing. Even as my body begins to break down, it's a temporary thing. Nothing can really hurt me. This thing, well, yeah, lots of things can hurt us. But nothing can hurt me. 
but I live separately from this thing that I'm living in. And this, this person inside, I will live forever. And I am protected by my Father because of Emmanuel, God with us. So, today then, therefore, God, I'm not alone, that was last week. Today, what does Emmanuel mean? How about this? The Creator God believes in me. Now, you need to know that. You need to celebrate that. The Creator God believes in me. That's important for us to remember. The Creator God loves you so much, and it's not just He believes in you. He created you. He believes in your abilities and capabilities. He believes in what can happen in your life. How do we know this to be true? Well, first of all, let's start with this. He wants to be with me, doesn't he? He wants to be with each one of us. God is going out of his way to be with us. And when did this start? Well, it started from the very beginning. You were created, and I was created for a relationship with God. This is what it says in the very beginning. Then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from the Lord God. Why did they hide themselves? Because they'd sinned, and they were ashamed. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? God went looking for Adam and Eve. When they had sinned and hidden themselves, God went searching. He wants to be with you that much. God himself is searching for you. We were created for that wonderful relationship with God. And in the beginning, it was perfect. Could you imagine what the garden would have been like? Perfect relationship, human beings in perfect relationship with one another, with all of nature and creation, with God. Taking time to walk in the evening with your heavenly Father. What an incredible life. And then we blew it. Then we sinned. Then we chose our own way. And as soon as mankind chose their own way, the first thing that they did was to hide from God. And we've been hiding ever since. There's something uh, about running away from what we've done. I can remember being a small child and uh, knowing that I'd done something wrong and I would have my favorite hiding places in the house because I didn't want to face my parents. Certainly I didn't want to face my dad. And so I would hide. I still remember the little corner that I would use to hide from my father when I had done something wrong. Became a father, and um, it's amazing all the different places my children found to hide from me. I have found them in uh, closets. I have found them in cupboards. I have found them under the beds. Because there's just something about us that when we sin when we do something wrong we want to run and hide and as loving parents what do we do we go and find them now unfortunately as human parents sometimes we find them with uh, maybe the wrong attitude you better come out right now i'm telling you you i'm counting to four and you better be so no one's going to come out at that okay just makes them want to hide more fortunately our father didn't do that He didn't come yelling. He came with a seeking heart. 
He wants to be with us. He believes in you so much and your potential. He created you for that potential. Yes, you sinned. I have sinned. Yes, there's that, that part of us that wants to hide from him and say, don't look at me. But our Father won't allow that. He's going to come looking. He's going to find you. But he's not young. He wants to find you before then. Let's consider for a moment all that God went through, the great length that he went through, just to find you. This tells me once again how important I am to God, that he believes in me. Look at all that he did just to reach out to me. You know, one way that you can tell how important a relationship is is... uh, and how much someone loves us is what they go through just to be with us. You know, sometimes getting with the ones you love takes a lot of work. Now, sometimes we can't do it. Sometimes it's just not possible. But I remember when we first moved into Idaho. We were at Northwest Nazarene College at the time. And uh, we had two boys at, at the time. Uh, Jason and Chris were, I don't know, what, seven, eight, something like that in, in that area. And we were, what, 16 hours, about 1,000 miles away from our homes in Southern California. But I remember Christmas 1982. It was important for us to go down and be with our families. 16-hour drive. We had a Chevrolet Chevette, four-cylinder, no air conditioning, AM radio, stick four on the floor. That was it. That's all we had. We, that was the only car we had until Jason was in middle school. That's all we drove. And we packed how to, how to describe this? I can't say that we packed the car and then put the kids in the car because it wouldn't work that way. It's a Chevrolet Chevette. So we would pack the car, then we would put in one kid, then we would pack the rest of the car, then we'd put in the second kid, and then we'd pack the rest of the car. And we would say, please tell me your bladder is empty, okay? I don't want to hear about it because you know how much work it's going to be to get you out of here. And then we would leave somewhere around, oh, 10 o'clock at night because uh, it was a 16-hour drive. And this way, hopefully, when the kids woke up, we were halfway there. We drove it straight because we didn't have any money to stop anywhere. And we drove through all kinds of weather. We drove through snowstorms. We drove through ice. One time we were driving into a headwind on Highway 395 just outside of Bishop, if you know where that is. And the wind hitting us was so strong, I had this little Chevette floored, and we were going about 35 miles an hour (laughs) on a flat road. But it was important to be there. And we got there. And we had a great Christmas celebration with our family. Now, in years to come, it just wasn't possible. For other reasons, we stayed. And, and then we were looking forward to our kids making this huge effort to be able to be with us as well. It means so much, doesn't it, when someone makes that effort. Now, we understand it can't always happen. But when it does, the greater the effort that they make to be there. Oh, man, that just touches our heart, doesn't it? You ever think about all the effort that God made just to be with us, just to have Emmanuel? Three things really stick out. First of all is this. He had to let go of the privilege of deity. He was God. Living in heaven of all places. Incredible privileges of deity. He was Lord. 
Paul writes about this and talks about in uh, the book of Philippians. And when he says this, think of yourselves the way Christ thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. He let go of the privileges of deity. Uh, we've been watching reruns of the West Wing because they kind of rerun people anyway. And uh, one of the things that the West Wing was a story about, you know, the, a president in what, the early 2000s or whatever. But what's amazing is to see all the privileges that go along with being president or even a presidential candidate. All the things that, that get done for you. It's amazing. And the privileges that you have, the, the opportunities that you have. Now, take that and multiply it by five kajillion and you begin to understand what it must be like to have the privileges of God who is worshipped at all times, worthy of that worship, the creator of all that is. And Jesus said, I'll let it go. I'll let it go. Jesus put it this way, as a matter of fact, in his priestly prayer in John chapter 17. And he, he said this, And now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus remembered the glory. It's not that he wiped his memory clean. He was still God when he walked this earth, but he was fully human. We'll talk about that in a moment. He didn't wipe his memory. He could remember the angels singing to him. He could remember the cherub and the seraphim and the morning stars singing his glory and praise. He could remember it all, and he gave it. To walk the hot, dusty roads of Israel. To be spit on. To go through everything else that he went through. Has anybody ever gone to that kind of length just to be with you? The second thing that he did, just to be with us, it is, it's one thing for God to leave the glories of heaven to walk this earth. But he didn't just walk this earth. He became fully human. Fully human. This is one of those mysteries about the Christian faith. That Jesus was at the same time fully God. Yes, he was. But he was fully and completely human. Which means he got tired. He got hungry. He got angry. He went through all, we'll talk about this in a moment, all the things that he went through, everything that a human being has to be. Now, understand there were times in the Old Testament that God actually walked this earth not as a human being. We have a word to describe those, Carson Clues. Remember what that word is? You're the only one that, that might know. That's okay. If you don't know, that's because it's a tough one. Anybody out there know we have one word to describe God walking the earth in a physical form before he was Jesus? We call it what? Theophany, there it is. There, she learned a brand new word. You'll go home and say, well, it wasn't much of a service, but we learned the word theophany. T-H-E-O-P-H-A-N-Y, theophany. Okay? And it just simply means God showing up in a physical form before he was Jesus. Look in the Old Testament. You'll find sometimes where the angel of the Lord will show up, and suddenly he begins to talk in the first person. Not just, he, he begins to talk in, about God in the first person. I'm going to do this. 
it's God, it's Jesus actually showing up before he's human. Call us theophany. Not very often. Didn't happen very often, but it did happen. Okay? Jesus didn't show up like that this time. He showed up as fully human being, which means he had to be born as a baby. He had to go through everything. And to become fully human when you're God is a humiliating thing. Now, if I could somehow take my dog, who some of you will meet this afternoon, and turn him into a human being, that would be elevating him. That wouldn't be humiliating for him. That would be elevating this dog. Suddenly has the mindset of a human being and the abilities of a human being. To take me and to make me a dog would be humiliating. To take God and make him a man is humiliating. But that's what he did. Philippians goes on to say this, having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life. What would it be like for the Lord God of all creation, where there was never any end to him, ever? That's why we say God doesn't have a body. Because if God had a body, there would, this is the end of me right here. See, this is the end of my finger. That's it. There's, I'm not here, but I am here. God is everywhere at all places. He can't have a body because as soon as you have a body, you, there's an end to you. Jesus had a body. The God who had been everywhere at all times confined himself into one little And it wasn't the perfected body. Eventually it was, after his resurrection. We know that his body was perfect and we're going to have one like that. It was a broken human body. Subject to all the things that we have to go through. What would it have been like for the king of all the universe, praised constantly by the cherubim and the seraphim and the angels and the choirs, to wake up one day, in human form, and not even an adult human form, a baby who cannot control his own bowels. Someone, some human being that he created, has to change his diaper and wipe his little body. If there isn't a human being providing a breast with which to nurse, he dies. Now, for humans, what's no big deal. That's what happens, right? He's God. Here's where we all go. See, that's what he did to be with you. I packed my kids in the car and drove 16 hours to be with my parents. That's what, look what God did to be Emmanuel. 
But then that's not it. Then he went so far as to dying a criminal's death. Dying a criminal. Now, not, not a noble death. A criminal's death. The most humiliating one they could possibly imagine at the time. Imagine it today. Which is far more, I suppose, is the word humane. He didn't die by throwing himself on a live grenade as some people do to save their friends. In today's world, he would have been taken into the death chamber and executed by the state by lethal injection or by the gas chamber or electric chamber. That's what would have happened today. That's the death he died. The criminal's death. Philippians says this, and then he died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. Why would he do this? Well, because... He's Emmanuel. And to be Emmanuel, that's what you have to do. To be with you. He loves you so much. He believes in you so much. He sees your potential. He created your potential. He loves you so much that he did all of these things just to be with you. And let's now talk about all the things that happened in between. We just talked about the three main events. Leaving heaven and setting it aside and, and becoming human and then dying at death. How about this? All the things that he had to go through in between. All the things that we go through. As we all live our own lives. He has to go through it as well. Now, true, it was a different culture, different time. He didn't have to learn to drive a car. But what we really have to face, he had to face. Some of them were good. Love and joy. Jesus experienced love and joy. There were people that he loved and people loved him and people cared about him and there were joyous times as, as he saw his disciples go out and, and begin to change the kingdom. There were joyous times as his friends got together. He knew love and joy without a doubt. But he also knew pain and frustration too. The physical pain walking all those miles and sleeping outside and the physical pain of being whipped, crucified, the frustration that even his own disciples didn't get it. We don't have time to go into it all, but, but read the Gospels sometime and, and, and you see Jesus almost saying, how thick can you be? Don't you get it yet? I've been, I've been with you for so long John chapter 14. Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, you've got to be kidding me. Have I been with you this long and you still don't know who I am? Frustration. Temptation. He knew temptation. If he didn't know temptation, if he wasn't tempted, he was not human. Humans are tempted. Don't say to yourself, well, he just, he didn't, you know, the temptation went right past him. If it went right past him, he wasn't human. When he was tempted in the desert for those 40 days, he was hungry. He was starving. He was dying. Don't think for a single moment that he wasn't tempted by the offer to turn these stones into bread. Because he's hungry. There's a difference between facing temptation 
and not being tempted at all. He was tempted. He just said no. He was tempted time and time. He was a human male with all of the hormones that go along with being a human male. Don't tell me he wasn't tempted by the women around him. He just could deal with the temptation. If his body didn't react to the sight of a female when you're in your 20s as he was, he wasn't human. He was tempted. But he was above the temptation. He faced it and he didn't give in to the temptation. He was tempted to find another way. He even asked his father for another way. His father said no. He was tempted by the idea that all he had to do was snap his fingers like that and he could be off the cross in a second. Remember he said that. He came to his disciples and the disciples as they're taking him away, as the, the, the police are taking him away and the disciples try to intervene, Jesus says, stop it. Don't you think that even right now at this moment I could call on my father and he would deliver 10,000 legion of angels? Remember, one angel killed 120,000 people in one night. A thousand legions of, or 10,000 legions of angels would wipe out the entire planet in just a few seconds. He didn't have to stay on the cross. He could have at any moment said, you know, I don't like this, I'm done. And he would still be God. But he stayed. He stayed because it was important to him to be with you, to be Emmanuel. And to be Emmanuel, he had to stay on the cross. He knew rejection and betrayal. There's lots of things that we have to go through in this world and um, lots of painful things. There's nothing perhaps quite as painful as being rejected by people that you love and being betrayed by those very same people. We've, uh, we've all known the feel of that knife in the back and the brokenness that comes from that, whether it's friends or family. Jesus knows it. From his closest and dearest friends, the ones that he'd spent the most time with. He watched them run. He watched them lie to pretend they didn't know him. Yeah, he knows all of that stuff. Why would he do that? Because that's what it means to be Emmanuel. If you're going to come and be with us, God with us, he can't just come and, and separate himself with this kind of layer, you know, this insulation around us. So that he's not touched by what we do. To be truly Emmanuel, that layer has to come down, that insulation has to be removed. He's got to connect with us and go through what we go through. So he's born as a baby. He's raised as a young child. He goes through puberty. His voice breaks. It did. If it didn't, he wasn't human. He was human. The testosterone begins to flow through his body. Betrayed by friends, rejected by the very people he created. He goes through it all because that would, that's what it means to be Emmanuel. The Bible puts it this way. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was the Son of God with all the privileges that come along with being God. And he set it all aside 
to live a life as a human being because that's what it means to be Emmanuel. Scripture also says, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey. Now, we're going to talk about this next week. This is one of the most amazing things. We're going to talk a little bit more about Emmanuel coming to save us. That only an Emmanuel could actually save us. That God had to be Emmanuel, God with us, in order to save us. We'll be dealing with that one next week as we close this whole series. Today, I just want to end with this one incredible thought. Are you ready? God is not ashamed of my brokenness. He came to heal it. And that's what Emmanuel means. When you think of of God up in his heaven, looking down on us, if that's the way that we should perceive it, and and he sees our brokenness and our sinfulness, you can almost see him go, look what I created. I created these, look what they've done with it. Ah! And instead, he became part of it. He's not ashamed of us, even in our sin. He's not ashamed of you. He loves you. This is what Scripture says. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brother. He came to be Emmanuel. Not because he hates us or he's ashamed of us, but because he sees in each one of us the potential that he created, and that potential is never going to be realized until Emmanuel, until God is with us. And he becomes one of us. And he looks around at the church that he's created, and he's not ashamed of you. He loves you. You can see him even now with the Father saying, look, look at my brothers and sisters right now. This is my family. He presents them to the Father. He presents each one of us to the Father with the joy and the pride. Yeah, we're broken humans. We are. And he's in the process of healing all that. We're going to talk about that more next week. It'll be very important next week as we wrap this whole thing up. He knows your brokenness. And he doesn't see you as some sort of disgusting thing. Even if you don't know him yet, even if you haven't entered into that relationship, even if Emmanuel is kind of standing beside you and not within you, which is what he really wants to do, God with us, God in us, Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory, even if that relationship still hasn't been started, he doesn't look at you and and go, he looks at you with that longing to say, I came to help you. I came to heal you. I'm not ashamed of you. I came to bring you to my family. That's Emmanuel. So what do you face this morning? I mean, what are the issues? What, what's going on? How are you seeing yourself? Because 
one of the, the biggest lies that the enemy is ever going to give to us is that we are decrepit, disgusting creatures. Don't believe it. You were never that. Even when you didn't know God, you weren't that. Now you were separate from your father. But our father never looked at us with disgust. Think of the most disgusting thing you've ever done. You were disgusted. He didn't look at you that way. All he saw was the potential of what you can become because of one word, and that word is Emmanuel. God with us. God with me. God with you. Emmanuel. That's what Emmanuel means for us. And Father, we just want to thank you because there are so many things in this world that they would tell us we're worth so little. And the enemy would speak into our hearts and then, Father, we begin to believe the lies and yet you didn't come to be with us because we were so little. You came to be with us because we are your creation. We're a broken creation. Our creation is going in the wrong direction, but, Father, still your creation and you love us because of Emmanuel, because of you with us now and forever, because of what you've done, Jesus, because of what you gave up to be with us, because of the links you went to to be with us, the potential that we have the potential you created us with, it can now be realized. And we want to thank you for that. Thank you, Emmanuel. You are with us. Help us this week to remember all that you went through just to be with us so that we can be grateful and remember that in you all things are possible. The potential we have can be realized and we can be what you created us to be. Thank you, Father. Amen.